Welcome to Daring Two, a podcast that finds out how CEOs and entrepreneurs navigate today's business world, the conventions they're breaking, the challenges they've faced, and the decisions that they've made. And lastly, just what makes them different. So Joe, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to have you on here. Um, discussing a very important topic. I'm currently in the UK. You're currently in the US. Um, for those of our um, listeners from around the world, um, it was a long weekend here um, in the UK to celebrate um, a particularly important historic occasion. Um, but back to the first time, people were taking like a Thursday off. It wasn't like a Monday holiday. It was a Thursday holiday. Suddenly, we were like experiencing this, this almost like massive sort of I don't know, it was like jubilation. And I don't think it was just to do with the historic event um, that came on. And interestingly enough, Joe, just so that the, the listeners know who you are, so Joe O'Connor, welcome. The CEO of the, the four-day uh, week uh, organisation, you know, interesting organisation, four-day week global. I mean, like, that in itself kind of tells us a little bit about um, what you may be doing. But Seems to me that you've always been passionate about causes and events um, and changing uh, maybe what our kind of societal views and opinions in a positive way that have an impact on people's lives because you're a recently appointed CEO, but you've had quite an interesting background. So tell me a little bit about your student years because it seems like you've always been um, someone that is a proponent of, like, I guess, challenging the status quo. Let's start with that, could we? Tell us a little bit about like your background. And before we get into the, the real meat of the four-day week global, which um, is really at the heart of the topic, but I want to kind of figure out where it started from. Sure. So um, I'm originally from a place called Kilmore in County Roscommon in the west of Ireland. It's a really small um, village. I studied in Galway and um, did accountancy and later a, a master's in business strategy and innovation management, and then ended up taking the the kind of the union route, which, you know, maybe my, my studies wouldn't be, wouldn't be a natural progression into that. But but it was really the students union that that got me into that. Um, you know, I ran for um, president of the students union in, during my time in Galway, spent a couple of years there and then went on to become the president of the Union of Students in Ireland, so the Irish equivalent of the the NUS in the UK, um, and later then went on to become Director of Campaigning for Forza, which is Ireland's largest public service trade union. And yeah, I guess it it was definitely the student movement that that got me interested in campaigns, causes, you know, making economic and social change, which, you know, although my current role probably involves much more engaging with businesses and engaging with leaders, um, I, I think fits well with what we're trying to do at Four Day Week, which is really, um, you know, change the way we think about the world of work. So changing the way we think about the world of work is, is not an easy task, let's be honest, right? And um, you have been you have uh, publicly said, you know, the new frontier for competition is quality of life. But if we think back through the COVID pandemic, post-pandemic, the great resignation that actually corporations need to be rethinking about how they think about the workplace and what's important to people and quality of life means really understanding what people actually want. And, uh, you know, live this week, going live, it's been massive in the news headlines everywhere. If anybody in the UK hasn't looked at it and seen how, like, 
and the four day work, the four day week in and the companies that have been involved in what is a very innovative um, pilot. Um, your comment was the greatest risk for companies is is our greatest risk the risk of trying a four day working week in our business and failing, or yeah. is it being unwilling to actually try it? So. You know, this is a this is something that actually started outside of the UK. You've been involved in it for a while. It's not something that just suddenly cropped up. There's been lots of discussions about, you know, four-day working week. Are people really going to be productive? Like, you know, what we're going to be paying them to do, like, four days, but we're paying them five days' work? How can I justify that um, from a productivity standpoint? So tell me about what, your, what the passion was um, around sort of, I guess, campaigning for understanding – what can we learn from actually having companies commit um, to signing up to be part of a pilot around trialing the four-day working week? Well, it started for me back in 2018. I, I organized a conference in Ireland, an international conference on the future of working time. My motivation behind this was, was twofold. First of all, our members in, in the, the union I was working for at the time had just had an additional two hours of the work week imposed in lieu of a third pay cut during the austerity measures as part of the, the financial crisis in Ireland, we were getting a, a lot of feedback from members that, you know, there didn't seem to be a productivity or a, or a public service um, rationale behind this. And it was, you know, it was almost an arbitrary, um, you know, introduction in ours. And also we ran a survey of our own members at the time, um, asking them about their attitudes towards work time reduction, work-life balance, the four-day work week, which at the time, although Ireland was going in one direction, you know, we were observing pioneering um, movements like Perpetual Guardian in New Zealand and the Gothenburg trial in Sweden of the four-day work week. Um, and one of the biggest things that came out of that, which really, really struck me was the amount of predominantly women, so the amount of working parents coming back off maternity leave, but predominantly women, who had taken a reduction of hours to a four-day work week um, for work-life balance reasons, for childcare reasons, and were obviously on 80% pay. And the common narrative that kept coming back from, you know, literally hundreds of people in this situation was that their expectations in the job were the same. The output that was required of them was the same. Their responsibilities were the same, you know, not just as, you know, was the case when they were on a five-day work week, but the same as their, as their five-day colleagues, which told me two things. First of all, we have a gender equality issue in the workplace. But secondly, that, you know, in a huge amount of occupations, Parkinson's law holds true, which is that, you know, the amount of time available um, to complete a task that, that, that it expands by, by that amount of time. So that definitely got me interested in trying to shift the narrative away from the hours you spend at the office, at the desk or on the clock and onto, you know, output and what are people actually getting done while they're at work. And I think the pandemic, as you've mentioned, has been the great, the great disruptor in that regard. You know, when you're talking about something as deeply culturally and societally embedded as the five-day work week, which obviously, as we know, has been about around for, for a century now. Um, it, it takes a great change like the pandemic to really shift mindsets and to shift horizons. Um, and we're seeing that at all layers of the organization. You know, we're seeing leaders getting attracted to this because of the potential competitive advantage that could flow from this in terms of recruitment and retention if they can pull it off. We're seeing managers are much more open-minded to it because they've learned through the remote working revolution 
that they can trust their workers. And they've learned that actually they need to figure out a better way of, of measuring results than just presenteeism. Um, and then also at a worker and at an, at an employee level, there's a huge demand behind this. You know, we, we saw a survey here in the United States recently, which suggested over 90% of workers would pick the four-day work week as the biggest incentive for them in terms of changing jobs. So, you know, this is, is largely down to the fact that people's horizons have shifted, you know, something that maybe they thought wasn't possible three to four years ago. They now believe that this can be done. And people's priorities have changed as well in terms of, you know, the place for family, the value for community, the value for spending time caring for children or elderly relatives. I, I think people's priorities have really been, been, been realigned as a result of the, of the impact of the pandemic. So let's talk about that. I mean, you know, it's been launched globally. I mean, it's been launched globally. You've talked about some of the countries that have already been involved, you know, Ireland, the US, New Zealand, Canada. You know, I mean, most of the continents have been involved in, in some shape or fashion. And we've seen the launch across 70 companies across the UK. Over 3,000 workers are going to take part in what is. Tell us why um, the, the, you chose to pick a six-month pilot. What, what's the basis of choosing a time period to do a pilot for? What are you hoping um, that it's going to reveal to those organisations that are taking part in this pilot, um, but also how, it, how you think it will help inform, you know, those thousands of companies that, that have yet to be convinced um, and or who are reluctant to take that risk at this point in time um, about the value of four-day working week? So in terms of the timeline, you know, our, my organization, Four Day Week Global, has been supporting companies to trial or transition to this reduced hour productivity focused model of work since about 2019. We've worked with hundreds of companies in different industries all over the world. And our experience is that we've seen companies do three month trials very successfully and, and make a decision at that point that they want to make it permanent. But we find that with the six-month trial, it does two things. First of all, the quality of the data in terms of the research that we're doing alongside this is just much better with a six-month trial vis-a-vis a three-month trial. And it also allows more time for, you know, no matter how much planning and preparation that you put into the trial, and that's part of what we support companies to do in terms of design and having a measurement and assessment framework in place, there are going to be things that you're going to learn as you go through the trial. So we felt that six months allows more time for you to adapt, to respond to maybe teething issues or, you know, perhaps the schedule, the, the you know, some of the operational decisions you made in planning, you realize a month or two and actually there's a better way to do this. So it just allows for more time, you know, to adjust on the fly and to give some time for those changes to take effect so you can make a really informed decision at the end of the six-month trial as to whether this is something that's sustainable for your business or not. And on, on the second part of your question, you know, what do we hope that this will do? So we developed this pilot program for a few reasons. First of all, it was really a demand-led thing. You know, the, the, the momentum and the interest in this got to the point that we felt that we needed a program that would allow us to support a lot of companies collectively at scale rather than just company by company. Secondly, we were hearing a lot of feedback from, from companies who had done this who were saying, you know, it's quite a lonely space. A few years ago, if you were a four-day workweek employer, you might be the only one in your area or in your industry or in your sector. So creating this kind of network that allows companies not just to learn from us, but from each other in terms of sharing ideas, collaborating, um, you know, 
sharing a, a different approaches to, to shared challenges. We felt that there was some, some value in that. But the other thing is, is that from, a, from an advocacy standpoint, you know, we have seen that this can work if it's done the right way. And we took a view that if this is going to co- go to the next level and move from being something that's, you know, I think a growing niche concept, growing very rapidly, but still a niche concept to something that's a very mainstream part of the conversation around the future of work. We need to try and demonstrate that the very positive outcomes we've seen companies experience can be replicated on a much broader scale in lots of different companies and in lots of different industries all over the world. And that's what we're hoping that these trials will do. You know, we have an independent research project that runs alongside the pilot programs. And, you know, while we can't know for sure what the outcome of that will be, based on our experience of working with companies in the last few years, our expectation will be that it will it will bear out um, the other studies we've seen globally that, you know, it's not a question of can the four-day work week work anymore? It's a question of can it work for your business? Right. And and the research that you're doing sort of in parallel to this and, and the engagement, I would say, of like research organizations and universities around the world suggests that, you know, there is a global need to sort of address the future of the workplace and what that looks like. And that there is much more intensity around CEOs and stakeholders actually paying real attention to you know, how do we think about the future workplace? You, you, you know, the pandemic was, you know, something that maybe accelerated some things that were already in play and exacerbated and perhaps highlighted the need um, and voices of many people around the world. Um, and initiatives like this are, are, are hoping to address that. So clearly there is a, as you've said, a really global appetite um, for that in the organisations. We Some sceptics may say, this is great. This will work well in certain industries, but it won't work in mine. Like, you know, it can't work in, 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 let's just pick an industry. I don't know, the energy industry or the banking industry or, you know, certain more, I would say more traditional sectors that may say, this is fine. If you're, you know, you're in a industry that can afford to have people working four days, not five days a week and or don't have restrictions. What do you say to those skeptics around? that sort of thought process that may exist? Well, our experience is that, you know, while every company is different, very few companies are unique and there are very few, you know, kinds of industries and and lines of work where we couldn't point to an example somewhere in the world where this has been done successfully. And I think the important point is that, you know, when we talk about the four-day week, the four-day week is the headline, it's the conversation starter. But really what we're talking about is reduced hours working, um, you know, we talk about this 180-100 concept, 100% pay, 80% time, 100% of the of the productivity, and that can take a huge amount of different forms. So, I think one of the one of the most common misconceptions that I think maybe we're starting to overcome was, you know, when I started talking about this a number of years ago, people thought that that it effectively meant by default that the company would move to a four day work week. But in actuality, you know, in the vast majority of scenarios, we're not talking about that. We're talking about employees moving to a four-day work week and figuring out a way to ensure that you've got that service coverage throughout the work week in order to be able to maintain, you know, customer service and, and so on. And, you know, that question comes down to if you're, a, if you're a business like, let's say, a marketing agency or an advertising agency, if most of your work is deliver X for Y client in Z timeframe, and it doesn't really matter when the work is done, as long as it's done within that time frame to the right standard, then you can probably shut your office 
on a Friday. And it probably will actually benefit your business because by having a universal day off, it'll mean that your employees are more available to each other over the other four days to collaborate on these kind of projects. But if you're a sales company or if you're a company with a significant retail or customer service uh, aspect to your business, then of course that won't work. Of course that won't be feasible. So it's about figuring out shifts. It's about figuring out rosters in order to ensure that you can make that work um, for your business. And a lot of this does come down to, you know, leaving this over to your employees to figure out the paths. You know, some of the some of the failures we've seen of companies who have come to us with the ambition of running a trial or with the ambition of moving to a four-day work week who haven't got to the point where they felt comfortable with launching a trial, a lot of it has come down to overthinking it in the C-suite. You know, this idea that CEOs think that, let, let me put that a different way. The most detail-oriented CEO in the world does not know the day-to-day intricacies of each of their employees' jobs well enough in order to be able to, you know, to set out how they need to, re- to, to redesign their workday in order to make this possible. So leadership's role is very much setting the, the, the direction of travel, setting the, the targets, the measurables, what are the, the key objectives that need to be maintained or hit in order for this to be a success and sustainable for the business, and then really delegating the details, leave it, leaving it over to team leaders, to departments, to, to, to staff, to figure out, you know, because this is less about individual productivity than it is about collective output. You know, if you think about the kinds of things companies do in order to do four days worth of, 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 of output in five, it's things like better meeting discipline, eliminating distractions and interruptions in the workday, improving processes, making better use of technology. None of those things can be done in isolation by one member of the team. These are all collective structural inefficiencies that require a lot of collaboration if they're gonna if they're gonna work. So I always have like, you know, that that sort of like, I don't know, that spark moment that comes on the podcast. And that that was the spark moment for me there of like I, which I would encourage listeners to go back and just replay that. Just that, you know, just those last couple of minutes around how you talked about how to really think about um the application of what is termed under the four-day working week because actually what you were really talking about and I think the essence of it is is like you know collectively how do you get things done in a way that works that delivers what the end goal is in a way where people actually feel they're contributing and adding value um and achieves the end goal so the I can't help but think that the four-day week the four-day week kind of global um, organization as it stands today has a much bigger agenda than than really the essence of the, of the tagline of a four-day week, which which is really about changing um, how we think about how organisations function, right, and and how people get um, intrinsic um, satisfaction and contribution from what they do. Is that part of the game plan? It seems like that there's something there in that, but I could be wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, I think from our point of view, as an organisation that believes that this can work. We need to be very clear about the fact that if you introduce a four-day work week in isolation, so in other words, if you reduce hours and do nothing else, I don't think that would work. Like, we're not saying that would work. What we're saying is, is that, you know, this is not about, one of the fears that people have is if, if you reduce hours, if you move to a four-day work week, but expect the same output, then basically it's going to be about cramming the same work into four days rather than five. It's going to increase intensification. It's going to increase stress. It's going to increase burnout. So 
far from the fact that there isn't really a lot of research evidence to suggest that that's actually the case in the companies that have done this so far, you know, this is not about the same inputs. It's about the same outputs. So it's not about doing the same work in the same way in four days rather than five. It's about just getting much clearer and sharper about what you're trying to achieve and then empowering people to make the changes within the business that will allow you to work smarter, allow you to work more efficiently. And, you know, our view is that in 2022, that we have the productive capacity and the technological tools in order to be able to make this happen. But, the, the, you know, the beauty of the four-day work week is that it provides this really powerful framework. You know, it's if you try to like it is a change management initiative. It is it requires cultural change within organizations. It requires, you know, process improvements. If you try to do all of these things in your organization without having such a powerful quid pro quo as the four-day work week, I'm not sure you'd get as far as some of the companies we've worked with because this is so transformative for people in their daily lives. This, you know, the kinds of stories you hear about what this means in terms of being able to do the school runs, being able to spend more time with grandparents, being able to take up a new hobby or learn a new skill you previously didn't have the time to do. People value that time so much. You're giving them something which does not have, you know, a financial value. You can't put a price on it. So people are so incredibly, not only are they, be, are they better rested at work, but they're incredibly focused and motivated. It, it, it aligns the company's interests with the individual employee's interests in such a powerful way if you really frame this right within your organization. So obviously you're helping organizations to think this through because most, I would imagine, would go to the very tactical, oh, I've got to reorganize everyone's employment contracts. I've got to like change this. It just means they're working like Monday to Thursday or Thursday to Wednesday, whatever it might be. Um, and they think very much in that sort of what they know, that certainty that they like. But, but what you are suggesting is actually kind of rethinking everything as to how they do it. And then fundamentally saying, how do you put that to work? So what kind of tools or frameworks are you, you helping sort of HR teams, executive teams and employees kind of navigate through what this actually looks like in practice and how you get there? Um, on this path. So they start to see those tangible benefits um, really quickly. So the way our program works is, you know, we support companies who sign up to participate for roughly about two to three months before the trial. So our experience is that the vast majority of companies that get to the point at which they launch a trial, you know, over 90%, probably over 95%, make a success of it and end up making it permanent. Where we see the drop-off is in the pre-trial phase. So a lot of our support is front-loaded. It's the planning, the preparation, the design, putting the measurement framework in place. Um, so some of the workshops that we run would range from quite broad sessions, which are masterclasses with different leaders from different companies, from different industries that have done this often in very different ways, You know, in recognition of the fact that this is not a one-size-fits-all model. So our organization... We don't see our role as, you know, here's the toolkit that will tell your organization exactly how you need to do it. It's more of a menu. It's more of here's lots of different ways. So maybe, you know, maybe they think that the communication strategy that Perpetual Guardian used is right for their firm, but the way that Uncharted measured their trial um, makes more sense for their company. And then we kind of drill down into some of the, of the drivers, which are really closely related to, um, to a four-day work week being a success things like time management, things like productivity hacks, things like, you know, 
reinventing the workday because part of part of what makes this a success is about being much more deliberate about how you spend your workday. So being much clearer about what time do we set aside for collaboration, for meetings? What time do we set aside for administration? So for Slack, for email, what time do we set aside for really carving out focus time on key high value priority tasks? And what time do we set aside for rest? And, you know, being much more defined about that within the work week is a really critical part of of making this a success. And obviously you're seeing some success because there's been a a good take up like across the globe of companies that are really wanting to be part of this pilot um, and, you know, engaging in sort of communicating that and sharing that around um, the world. But I mean, you took on, I mean, you've been involved in it for a while now, but you took on the role. Let's talk a little, let's go back a little bit now and and kind of talk about you in the role because you took on the role of CEO um, in March of this year. Um, and then seeing this expansion sort of actually grow in terms of organizations wanting to be part of that. What does that feel like for you? Just some, like step in that. I mean, you've been kind of co-leading it, but but now like you are um, the sole kind of front person for it. What's that feel like for those budding CEOs out there or individuals that are about to step into a similar kind of position? And share some of what that feels like for you. I mean, it definitely feels like a little bit of we're building the aircraft while it's in flight. You know, we're we're in a very, there's not too many organizations our size. So we have seven people as an organization right now, um, which is up from three this time last year. Um, we expect to grow further by the end of this year and probably further again into next year. So, you know, th- there are very few organizations that are our size that, are at the cold face of the kind of global interest in, in, a, in a particular topic like we are, but also that, you know, we, we have right now people like Andrew Barnes and Charlotte Lockhart, our co-founders, Alex Soyun Kim Pong, who's written extensively on this topic and works with us as, as program manager. So we're in the interesting space that we probably have more people acting as thought leaders and experts and leaders than we do, you know, administrative support. So we're trying to, you know, to, to really build up our own capacity in order to be able to deliver more and more programs in more and more countries. You know, where our target is that by early next year, regardless of where in the world your business is, and regardless of when you're hoping to to run a trial, that we will have a program that can facilitate you. So, you know, it's a it's a really fast moving, interesting journey to be on. Um, and yeah, it's it's exciting. You know, sometimes you get you get really caught up in the numbers of, you know, every trial we're running seems to be a little bit more popular, more companies participating. But when you look underneath that, the feeling of, you know, getting off a, an executive team meeting um, where they make a decision that as of two months time, all of their 250 and 300 employees are going to be moving to a four day work week. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, you know, the individual impos- you know, you can get caught up in the macro, but that is something that, that really is changing people's lives in a whole load of ways that we don't even know about. So I think that, that that's the kind of um, that, that, that's the kind of motivation that, that really keeps you uh, keeps you digging in, you know. So passion to purpose. I'm a great believer that, you know, you follow your passion in life and that passion has to be connected to a purpose. So did you always dream that you were going to be CEO of an organization and that somehow it would connect in a way to a passion that um, 
that you are passionate about? I mean, has that been a dream of yours since you've kind of grown through it? Have you fallen into it and said like, hey, it just so happens that I'm in something that you know, I, I really care about? What What's your own personal journey around this? Yeah, I mean, I can't say that that it has been. You know, I um, I, I, I took up initially the the uh, program manager role in Four Day Week Global just last September. Um, you know, I was doing some research on work time reduction, which is you know is a topic I've been interested in and passionate about for a number of years. So an opportunity came up to study that here in Cornell University in in the US. You know, in parallel to that, I had developed this pilot program in Ireland, which Four Day Week Global wanted to to roll out a version of internationally. So, you know, at the time, I probably saw this as a really, you know, a really good, timely opportunity to do something for a while. Um, But obviously, you know, I'm invested in this now because I can see that the potential for, you know, for this movement and for this organization is, is very, very significant. And, you know, I'm excited to see the kind of impact that we can make if we continue to, you know, to grow interest in the topic and also grow our own capacity to deliver. And what do you think is going to be like some of the hardest challenges going forward? Like, you know, you've got this momentum, you know, you started it, as you said, you you, you were piloting some initiatives during COVID and helping companies, um, small businesses within Ireland actually rethink how they could support and build a community and stay um, sustainable businesses for the future and um, now you're part of something that is gaining as you say more and more attraction more and more sort of spotlight more and more organizations keen to really understand it a lot of universities and research think tanks been wanting to be part of it as well how do you how do you navigate through that like how do you see what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for you um i think if you look at the trajectory of the five-day work week you know People often forget that that wasn't a really clean, simple. It wasn't like, you know, legislation was enacted one day and all of a sudden. It was a long, prolonged journey where different countries and different industries were at different stages of that slow, gradual transition. It involved, you know, corporate leadership from people like Henry Ford. It involved social struggle from trade union movements. It involved government action. So this is something that's going to be multifaceted over time. You know, it may happen a lot quicker than maybe we would have envisaged a few years ago because of how the pandemic has really turbocharged the role of the four-day work week in the future future of work conversation. But, you know, my, my sense of it is, is that there's going to be three stages to this. The first stage is there are industries now where it's pretty clear to us that based on current trends and based on this dynamic where you've got a lot of companies that can compete in the top 1% of compensation that maybe used to offer things like flexible working, remote working, hybrid working as an incentive. Now that's no longer a competitive advantage. That's been swallowed up because it's now a a standard expectation in that industry. They're turning to the four-day work week en masse. I think that could lead to industries like tech, IT, software, finance, some parts of professional services, this becoming the norm rather than the ambition in the space of a few years. Then you're getting into, you know, other industries where they might be slower to adopt, but in order to keep up with, you know, the four-day work week being widely available in other sectors, we'll have to start accelerating the journey. And then I think if you look at this at a national level, you know, I'm someone that, that obviously is particularly interested in the Irish economy. Like, there's no question, Ireland have benefited hugely from very favorable corporate tax arrangements for 
a long, long time now. And, you know, if you follow the what's going on at a European Union level in terms of tax harmonization, the writing's on the wall for that. So this is where I get the kind of the idea that as we come out of the pandemic, offering a world-class quality of life to employees is going to be a, a huge factor in the global war for talent. So that's when, you know, watching what's happening in Scotland and Spain and Portugal, what's already happened in Iceland and the UAE, you know, are there going to be countries that really embrace this as a, as a central tool of their of their macroeconomic policy, which I think, again, would would really would, would take something that maybe might take 10, 15, 20 years if it's purely a, a private business driven initiative that could really move this on at pace um, an awful lot quicker. Do you, do you think that, um, you know, we are seeing and it's an interesting viewpoint that you sort of bring to the table, which is. This idea that, you know, governments used to be responsible for certain things. Private enterprises used to be responsible for, you know, managing and running the profit of their own companies. Institutions, foundations, multilaterals used to be responsible for, you know, managing sort of global societal issues. Well, actually, all of those boundaries seem to be merging in some way. And in, in the fact that there's an expectation that, you know, you don't pick and choose now what you contribute to or not contribute to, you actually have to be a part of it all and of coming together. Um, this this concept of like even um, what you're doing on the workplace scale of understanding the collaboration and having those people that are doing the work and sort of actually engaging and actively solving what's the right solution. It feels like maybe there's some learning in there as well around how the different sort of stakeholders i would say look at solving some of our global societal issues that we've created over the years um, and and are now um, paying much more attention to about how we collaborate together to solve them um, there could be some interesting learnings from this that that feed into that what do you say to that could there be do you think i think you're absolutely right i think that that's part of the puzzle and i think you know this is not going to be this is going to require action at a, at a number of different levels. It's going to require labor market competition in certain sectors of the economy to drive it, as I described. It's going to require public demand. I think you're seeing that growing very, very strongly in the, in the past couple of years. In certain sectors, it's going to require collective bargaining, this becoming a strong collective bargaining priority um, in certain sectors of the economy. And then I think it, it is going to require some level of government intervention. And you know, when I say that, I'm not necessarily talking about legislation. You know, I'm of the view that we're not at the point now where you legislate en masse for a four-day work week. Um, you know, the, the trajectory of the five-day work week suggests that that's at the end of the cycle where you regularize things for the rest of the economy when this has already become, um, you know, the standard or the norm in large parts of, of society. Um, I see government's role now as being, number one, supporting pilot programs, both through directly supporting them in public service, civil service, you know, parts of the economy where they have where they have control and influence, but also encouraging and facilitating private businesses to, to, to run pilots and investing in research, you know, to really assess a lot of what we're doing can, I think, really clearly tell you the impact at a company level and at an individual level of reduced work time. I think there's a role for government in terms of really looking at the macroeconomic the macro environmental, um, the macro societal questions around, around the, all of this. Um, and then finally, I think there's a role for government as a facilitator through legislation, because what we know is that, you know, there can be unintended adverse consequences for employers that want to reduce hours 
you know, not just for employers, but also for their employees in terms of leave accrual, pension entitlements, you know, because of the fact that our employment legislation is so geared around the five day or the 40 hour work week uh, in most jurisdictions. So, you know, enabling greater flexibility for companies that want to shift to um, reduced hours for the same output seems to me like a like a very valuable thing that governments could be doing. Right. So what do you think six months from now? Um, the headline newspaper, what's that going to say about um, four-day week global? And what do you think some of the companies that are taking part in these trials, what do you think their headline message in the newspaper will be six months from now? What do you hope it will be? Well, all we can go off is, you know, you can never anticipate. We're de- dealing with a lot of variables here. You know, we're talking about, if we're t- talking about the UK trials specifically, this is over 70 private companies all with their own organizational challenges, different structures, you know, different um, changes that could occur over the course of the trial, um, ranging from breweries to fish and chip shops to financial services companies to care services providers. So, you know, very, very, very difficult to kind of assess all of the different variables at play there. But in the round, based on what we've seen from individual companies that we've worked with to do this, you know, and even looking at the early results from our other trials, you know, we've HealthWise, large not-for-profit in the U.S., they were shedding employees last summer and had a huge problem with retaining, a huge problem with turnover, adopted the four-day work week last August, and effectively, you know, their unplanned attrition has hit the floor. Um, you know, it's been transformative for, for, for their company. We've had early results in from the midpoint of the trials in Ireland and the U.S., which are incredibly encouraging. They haven't been publicly publicly released yet, but they're incredibly encouraging. So based on that, you know, I would be surprised if it was anything other than, you know, further adding to the evidence base that this is something that can work in a whole range of different companies. Um, This is something that can deliver significant benefits for both the employer and the employee. And getting back to the point that you were making earlier on, companies are going to have to start thinking about this in the context of, you know, if we can pull this off, it's going to give it a significant, give us a significant competitive advantage. If we don't engage with this, we are running the risk that our competitors will do this first and will be the ones doing the chasing because the greatest benefits from this are going to flow to those who get there first. I think that's a great sort of um, nugget for those organizations that have yet to sign up um, who are listening to, to kind of think, well, why are we not part of this? What are we missing that we should we better get on board with to understand the value that we could gain from this? So um, I think there are lots of other things we could explore around this topic, which I think go much further than um, just looking at the, the topics. But I, I will be intrigued to, to have you back after the, the trial is over, because I think there are going to be so many applications um, for organisations and for society at large that the research will show. But I always end this with a, a daring team moment, which is to ask my guests, um, what their daring to moment is. So it could be daring to do something that you've already done and achieved, um, daring to um, dream of something that you hope is going to happen. Um, what would be your daring to moment? Well, I think having not given this any advanced thought, it would be difficult for me to say anything other than, you know, by 2030, the four-day work week is going to become, you know, the new standard uh, in the economy um, you know, so when we say that, we don't mean that, you know, the same version of the four, because 
The same version of the five-day nine-to-five, which is the standard work arrangement today, of course, it's not the only work arrangement, but we do believe that some version of a shorter work week um, is achievable right across the economy with the four-day work week as the new standard. So I think, you know, let's give ourselves till 2030. And if we get there earlier, all the better. That's great. And and Joe, if people want to know more about the organization, about you, find out more about what's going on, sort of leverage some of the research and the organizations that you're working with, and how do they do that? Website, LinkedIn, Twitter, what, what are the different avenues and media outreach um, that they have that they could um, get in contact with you? Sure. So, you know, for, for resources, for information on upcoming information sessions that we're running in different countries, registering interest in the pilot programs, people can go to either our website, which is www.4dayweek.com. That's the number four, not the letters. Uh, and also program at 4dayweek.com. Uh, and that's the U.S. program without the M-E at the end spelling program at 4dayweek.com if they want to express an interest in joining a program or, uh, or would like to find out some more information. So CEOs, HR leaders, leaders around the world, whatever your business, um, foundation, institution or organization that you're with, um, take note. Um, if you like the podcast, do get in contact with Joe and the organization and also let us know what you liked about it. And um, last but not least, um, you'll get to know more about some of the work that we do at DARE. Um, but I do want to mention specifically an initiative that we're involved in with our partner organization in the States, which is a nonprofit that we are um, really leveraging over the next um, eight weeks, which is Pivot Purposefully, which is all around helping formerly incarcerated um, underrepresented groups, particularly women, um, actually get back into the workplace by supporting entrepreneurship. So if you are interested in helping support that, donating, um, and being part of that effort, which is a really important um, underlooked um, talent resource in the world, then do get in touch with us at www.pivotpurposely.org um, and sign up to be part of a change movement just like the four-day week. So thank you very much, Joe. It's been really interesting. I can't wait to um, be reading more about what's going on um, and the telling research that I think is going to bring about a lot of change and transformation around the world. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Enjoyed the conversation? Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of Daring 2. Also, check out our website, dareworldwide.com, for some great resources around business in general, leadership, and how to bring about change. See you next time.